Are you ready? Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Matthew 16, 13. And I'm going to give you one more scripture to turn to and where you, you'll keep your finger in Matthew. Uh, you'll keep your, actually, you'll keep your finger in this next scripture, Colossians 1. You go to the right from Matthew and look for Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. So keep your finger in Colossians 1, 15, and then go back to Matthew chapter 16. You got it? Colossians 1, verse 15. And Matthew chapter 16. Here's one of the things that I think is so important for us. Today, we've been in a, we've been in a series called I Like Church. And this is the final installment of the I Like Church series. Everybody said, Amen. Because I'm sure you're sick of hearing me say it. But I am convinced that we need to love the body of Christ. We need to love the body of believers. It's, it's so true. I remind myself and others of this all the time. Jesus loves the church more than you do. He loves his people so much. He's interested in them. He wants to be involved in their lives. He gave his life for us. And so we need to be the people who don't tear down the church. We don't pick out her flaws. We don't be, we're not the kind of people that are critical and cynical of the church. We are the people that know that she has flaws. We know that we have flaws, but we still love what God does in the midst of his church. And it is his church, and we embrace it as his church, and we embrace it as his beautiful bride, and we treat his bride with respect and with honor, and we like what he's doing. That's a good, that's a good word. So today is the final installment, and we're going to talk about how the church of Jesus Christ fits. It fits you. It fits me. It fits together. It fits together. And I want to talk about this in a way that is... Um, is more sort of real tangible here as we look at what our role is in the church. All right, have you ever, have you ever had an experience where, um, where something just fit just perfect? Like, like you had a, a, a puzzle you were working on, and that puzzle piece, you were looking around for it, looking around for it. You know that feeling that comes when you look for that puzzle piece, and then you're like, oh, I found it. It fits right in. There's a little puzzle piece in your... Um, in your little cup holder. Look, look over in your cup holder and grab out that puzzle piece. Everybody has a little puzzle piece, all right? Do you see it? Yep, just look for it. I want you to grab a hold of that puzzle piece, and I want you to hold that as we talk about this today. Talk about where you fit, how we fit. I was, uh, I was helping Julie Davis load a truck. <laughs> Julie Davis is such a sweet lady uh, in our church, and she's just moving back to Oregon, and she's been here and helped us start. We had prayer meetings at her house. She is just a wonderful lady, and she needed help loading her truck. So Larry Foster and uh, Ralph and, and some, a bunch of other people, my, my boys came, and they, that was like their 15th or 16th move that they did, counting last summer all the way through. They were, I mean, they were amazing. And... Um, 
And so we were fitting stuff into the truck. And you know how you, got, you need to find a person who sits up in the truck and who makes things fit where they should go. And so Larry and I were in the truck and we're looking for things. And okay, give me that box. No, give me that box. And we'd try to fit things in. And there was something that would come over us. When we'd find a place and I would, I would find a, a fit for this box and I'd push on it and I'd, it wouldn't fit. And Larry would be like, nope, it's not going to fit. And I was like, yes, it is. It's going to fit. No, I don't think it's going to fit. No, it's going to fit. It's gonna it's it's gonna okay it's not gonna fit very depressing when it when it didn't fit but when it did fit when it was like yes there's the box right there it's gonna go and it went bing boom oh yeah that feels good there is nothing that my wife loves more than going shopping and finding the perfect fit ladies you know what i'm talking about but she doesn't like trying on clothes because they don't fit right, right? Okay, so you ladies, you know what I'm talking about. But when she finds the perfect outfit, it's like the sun is shining. It's like everything is right. And then, of course, comes the horrible, terrible question. Do I look fat in this? <laughs> the answer is no. You do not look fat in that. So just a little tidbit for you uh, husbands out there. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's nothing that she likes better than the right fit. And I think God made us that way. So we think about fitting in the church and we think about what God has for us. Let's go to the scripture because that will save us. (laughs) Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overcome it. The first thing we have to acknowledge when we are asking about our place in the church is we have to acknowledge that Jesus is the one who is building his church. Jesus is the one who's in charge of building this church. You are not in charge of building this church. I am not in charge of building this church. Jesus builds his church. Now, when we first started One Chapel, I remember I said to the launch team, I was, we were sitting there either at Manchek Baptist or at the Marriott Hotel and I, very early on, and I said it early and I said it often, Jesus is the one who promised. He said, I will build my church. You know, and when he looks at me and I, I, I think about, how I want to build my church, that's not assured. <laughs> Jesus looks at me and says, Ross, I'm not sure I'm going to build your church, but what I, if you'll build my church, then you'll be assured of success because I'm interested in building my church. So we have to acknowledge that Jesus is the one who is building. And listen, it is so important for us to realize that the history of the church, I mean, it is marked. It is marked with all kinds of failures, all kinds of foolishness, 
imperfect people, poor leadership, spiritual abuse, heresy, different heresies that have come through the church, the dark ages, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation was uh, certainly a time that was very dark in the life of, of the church, and the Reformation was an attempt to make it what it needed to be. The persecution that goes on around the world, if you think about it, every day there are people who die for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They die. They're part of our church and they give their lives because they're being persecuted. And yet, in the face of all this, and yet in the face of all the history that we can look back upon the church, Jesus Christ continues to stand firm. Jesus Christ stands firm in the face of all these things. Look at, first, uh, look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, if you had your finger in there, now you can turn over real quick. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. It's talking about Jesus. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the body, the church. And He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He was the first one to rise from the dead, but He will not be the last, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. Oh, I love that word. Everybody say it together with me. Supremacy. It's just a fun word to say supremacy. Jesus doesn't want to be first. He wants to be all. Jesus doesn't want to have this section of, his, of your life that he covers. He wants to cover it all. He wants to be owner of it all. And he is the owner of it all in the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn among the dead, that he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And then it goes on, and you can read it at another time, talks about how we were alienated, but now we've been brought near. That Jesus Christ drew us and made us the church, but he is the head and we are his body. So it is really important for you to acknowledge. It is really important for you to understand this idea. This is not your church. This is not your church. This is Jesus' church. And now you're thinking to yourself, why is, what, why is this so important to understand? Well, have you ever noticed when you have a, a picture that you're looking at, like it's, it's holiday season and people are taking their pictures? You look at the picture and when you, somebody takes a picture of you and you say, ooh, let me see it, right? What is it that you look at first? You look at yourself. You want, you want to see how you look. You don't care if anybody else is in the picture. Take a picture of your family. Uh, we, we had family pictures. And everybody, you know, everybody's looking at the pictures. We have family pictures taken. Everybody's looking at them. And, and you can't find one because everybody says, no, I look bad in this picture. We need to pick another one. No, everybody else looks great. No, I look bad. and you need to change it. The place that we look in a picture with all kinds of people, no matter who it is, no matter where it is, we have a tendency to look exactly to ourselves. The reason for that is, is because it's, 
it's important for you to know that you're represented well. We are, the way we're wired as humans, we have a tendency to be concerned with ourselves. And so when we look at our church and our participation in the church, sometimes what we, can, what we find is that we've turned the church into a place that is very consumer-driven, consumer-oriented. In other words, I come to this church to see what I can get because my needs are the important needs. Now, having said that, I do believe that the church is supposed to be healthy and whole, and we're supposed to minister to one another. But where that begins is with us ministering to Jesus. Where it begins with is worship, worship of Christ as the center, as the one who is over all and is supreme over all. And as we do that, we begin to find our place in the picture. We begin to find our place in the picture. I often think about the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. You know this story? He, he had a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. A week later, they would be crucifying him, but he's riding in, and the people are just glorifying him and, and just calling his name out and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if the donkey thought it was for him? The donkey's like, wow, these people are super excited. Look, look at my steps. <laughs> I'm carrying this guy. Awesome. This is incredible. Well, these people are finally appreciating all that I can do. <laughs> Jesus is the point. So in our modern-day self-help, esteem-driven sort of pop psychology world, we're tempted to think that the gospel story is somehow about us, that somehow we are at the center, but we are not. We are certainly an important part of the story, but my life and your life, the story of our church, even the story of the church of Austin in the city, is not what this is necessarily all about. This is God's story, and it is about His love for us that's demonstrated in Christ Jesus. He is the central figure in the cosmic drama of, of what God is doing in the universe and what He's doing in the, in, in, the, in the world. And we are certainly the recipients of His grace. I don't want to minimize that. We've been invited, but here's the thing. We have been invited into a fellowship. This is what we've got to get right, or it, it skews everything about the church. We have been invited into a fellowship, and that fellowship has existed beyond time. It is the fellowship of, not the fellowship of the ring. It is... <laughs> It is the fellowship of the Son. It is the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we've been invited into that. This is an incredible idea that we'll teach on as we go along in the life of the church. But you need to see the picture. You need to get the right perspective that we're invited into a fellowship that is already existing and that exists has existed for all time and will exist for all time. And we've been invited into that fellowship, and it is from that fellowship that we begin to gain and understand our identity, who we are, where our place is. So perspective is important. It leads to the way we think about the church. It's a picture. It's not a, it's not a picture. Some people have this picture of the church, that it's just a bunch of weak and weary people just trying to make it, just make it to heaven. 
I don't believe that. That's not the picture of the church. That's not what being invited to the fellowship means. Or some people think it's, a, it's something about an, an overcoming faith-filled people. And man, we're full of faith. And you know, that's who we are. Faith man. <laughs> it's not about what we can do or what we can accomplish. It's not even really, I mean, honestly, it's not really about the mission or the mandate. In our core values at One Chapel, mission is one of our core ideology. We believe in the mission. But the mission is not the centerpiece. The mission actually is a byproduct of who we are and what God has shown us. We're, it is a byproduct of knowing Him. This is, why, this is why we have presence, we have relationship, and we have mission. And when you understand that you are the people of His presence, that He dwells in us. It is that dwelling that gives birth to a mission because you want everybody else to experience what you've experienced. Evangelism can never be a program. It must be a byproduct of a life that is fully devoted and given over to who Jesus is. Once you find that, once you experience that, you're like, I can't help it. i got to tell people about this. But it is not... The centerpiece. The person, in reality, the person that this is about is the work, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the way we glorify Him is we bring more and more people to meet Him. You see that Peter experienced this in Acts chapter 2. If you turn over there, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. I want you to show you what, what, what Peter... So Peter, in Matthew 16, we just read, right? Jesus, Jesus looked at Peter and said, who do people say that I am? And Peter looked at him and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And this revelation is what the church is all about. It is about that revelation in people's lives, that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the one who was, who is, and is to come. And as they discover that, then God, Jesus looked back at Peter and said, look, on that, on that idea right there, I'm going to build my church. On that idea right there, I'm going to build my church. And then Peter, you know, he didn't quite get it in Matthew 16. But after Jesus had died, was buried and resurrected and went to heaven, here we find Peter in Acts chapter 2 and he's preaching and he's speaking to people. He got it. He figured it out. It came alive to him. In verse 36, it says, Therefore, let all Israel be sure of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people added to the church in a day. God wants to repeat that over and over and over again, but it requires a revelation. 
It requires a revelation. <laughs> it requires a revelation of who Christ is, of what he's done, and his work and presence in your life. And when that happens, then there's something else that goes on. Let's look at, before we look at a, a few things about how we fit into the picture, I want to identify some ideas about the church. So, the, so I want to go through what the church is not and then talk about, con conversely, what it is, how it works, what happens when we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, when he is the cornerstone of the church, what we what we can do is we can see what it is and what it is not. So turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll kind of we'll go through Ephesians here because I love the way Ephesians talks. I mean, if, if, if there is a book in the New Testament kind of defining who the church is, who we are, how we fit into the work and the plan that God has, it is Ephesians. And it's a very theological book, but it has so much richness in it. And we'll read some of these passages. Number, let's start in verse, uh, Ephesians 1, verse 17. Verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may what? What does that say? so that you may know him, oh, you mean the central figure, that we may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is the head of the church, but we are his body. And he wants to fill us with the fullness of God in every way. He wants to fill us with who he is. He wants us to become the conduit for his power in the earth. All right, so, so big idea number one, the church is not a social club. The church is not a social club. It's not a place to belong to meet some friends and meet some nice people and sort of make your life fulfilled. It actually is a conduit of God's power. God's power and anointing. When we prayed for people just a few minutes ago, I really believe, I, Brent and I were standing over here talking about it during the worship thing and during, during, while they were singing and while they were, we were just glorifying God and we just felt like God wanted to heal some people that he wanted to show and demonstrate his power. And I just think we should believe him. Yeah. I think we should trust in him. I think we should have faith to see it happen. And so this is what he wants out of us. He doesn't want us to treat church like a, like a social club. It's not, uh, it's, it's not really a health club. It's a hospital. It's a place where people can get what they need and they can receive the power that they don't have. The second idea that the church is, is not a place. 
It is not a place. It is actually a people. So look and keep right there in Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read on. It says, As for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. And of the ruler of the kingdom and of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. We were dead. But he made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So the church are these people who are followers of Christ. They're people who were dead, and now they're alive. One of our core values and ideas is the fact that we believe that when God meets a person, when they meet him, when they experience him, when they understand what he's done for them, that he died on a cross for their sins, and that he, and that he has caused salvation to come and sin to go away, to be washed away, when they realize that his plan for them is better than their plan for them, that sin is missing the mark, missing the, the, the mark of their lives, and they realize that they can't do it on their own, that they need to live their lives with somebody else, with something else, and they realize it's Jesus. They become his dwelling place. They become his church. The church is not a place it's a people. This is obvious to you since we have church in a movie theater. So the next, next idea is the church is not a self-focused institution. It's not a self-focused institution. It's not a place just for us. It's a living organism created for serving and for good works. If you'll notice, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 2, right where we left off, verse 6, it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This identifies our power, that we have strength and power from heaven, not from earth. In order that in the coming ages, verse 7, that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. You don't come to Christ proving your worth. You don't come to Christ trying to make sure that you are good enough or smart enough or somehow worthy enough. You are not worthy. People come to me and they say all the time, I just don't feel very worthy. I say, you're not. Get over it. You're not worthy. It's okay. Jesus loves you in your unworthiness. You aren't good enough. It's okay. He wants to make you good enough. He wants to give you the riches of his inheritance. He wants to give you the riches of the strength to live life with a positive outlook. He wants to give you the, the strength to be able to face the difficulties of your life with grace and with mercy, with a strength that only comes from heaven. He wants to give you that. All right, so... He, say, he says it, I want to show my incomparable riches through the church, and it's by grace you've been saved, but then this is not the end. He, he continues with verse 10. For we are God's workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for what? I love this. See, you can't, you can't, you can't achieve acceptance by good works, but what you can do is you can be accepted and then begin to be fashioned to do good works because that is his plan for you. 
That is his purpose for you. And so we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we are not a self-focused institution where we're thinking about ourselves. We're, we're a living organism that we are created for serving and doing good works. And that's why we're trying to make sure that as we build the foundations of one chapel, that inherent in its building are serving opportunities, creative uh, 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 serving opportunities that people can experience the tangible love of Christ in a meaningful way. All right, so then here, here's the next one. The church is not just a group of weak, broken people. It is a culture of shared grace, offering wisdom, freedom, and confidence. Look, continue down. If you'll go to chapter 3, verse 7, we can't read the whole book, but we can skip around here and see where Paul was kind of going from idea to idea. He says in verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. I love those words right there. The administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. But verse 10, the key verse, his intent was that now, through the church, everybody say through the church, Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's very important to me that we create a culture at one chapel where we understand that we don't have to live life alone, but that we live life with other people And by the work of those other people, by what God is doing in those other people, by what God is doing in me and what God is doing in another person, that we don't have to live in need of anything, but that the wisdom and the revelation, the freedom and the confidence to live, you find it in cooperation with what God is doing in His church that you find the ability to deal with your finances or deal with your work situation or deal with your family or deal with your marriage, that you have all the wisdom that you need for that within the church. We need... now. We need to know what the Scripture says. We need to make sure that we are good students of the Scripture and we're good students of godly principles. We need to read a book every now and then. Turn to your neighbor and say, read a book. Read a book. Stop watching TV. Read a, read a marriage book for crying out loud. You're struggling in your marriage. Read a book. You're like, I got problems way too complex for a book. Okay. This is the thing. I want this to be a place where people can find the answers. That they can come and with freedom and with confidence, we can proclaim to everyone Yes, whatever you need, whatever you are in need of help with, you can find it here. You can find it in a small group. You can find it in the scriptures. You can find it in a coaching and mentoring relationship. You can find it because God is expressing his wisdom and his power through the church. So if you're struggling with your marriage, there's an incredible love and respect group led by Spiro and Jennifer Stavros. 
It's an incredible place. You can go, uh, you can go um, out here to this table, and they'll give you the opportunity to find where they meet and how often they meet, and, and you can pick up the book, and you can be coached and mentored in your marriage. I think we have to build a culture that is offering this wisdom and freedom and confidence. Last, uh, last two things. The church is not a corporation. It is a community of love. Look at, ver- look at chapter 3, verse 14, all right? For this reason, the, Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, are you getting the fact that God has riches? God, we've read it two or three times. It's, he's not talking about money. Oh, that, was that depressing for you? <laughs> so, so much of our gospel has revolved around materialism in America. It cannot be. This cannot be. The Apostle Paul learned how to live both in plenty and in want. And he said, I have learned to be content in everything. He said, I, could, I, can, I can do everything that I need to do, whether I have plenty or whether I have want. I can do it all because I have the strength of Jesus that lives in me. He said that in Philippians chapter 4. Here he says, he says, I want you to understand all the riches that he may strengthen you with power through, your, through his spirit in your inner being. So his spirit comes into your being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. You're aware of him. He's, you're thinking about him. You're aware of his plan and his purpose. You're desiring of following him, of understanding where he's leading you. And he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together. So he's giving you all these riches He's giving you all these things. Why? Together, he's giving you the power with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. He's not talking about love that you learned about in Sunday school. It's not talking about a love of God that you learned at confirmation even though it may be at that moment when you were 12 or 13 that you had a revelation of who Jesus really was. Because what Paul is talking about, he's talking about something that goes beyond information. He's talking about something that is revealed to you. It happened a few minutes ago here in this, in this room. As we were participating at the Lord's table, you could tell there was something else going on in this room and God was revealing himself to people. He was telling them that he loved them. They were receiving it. It was revelation to them. The church is not something that we kind of build like a corporation is built. There's no doubt that I'm going to be the leader of this community of believers, but it's so important for us to understand that this group of people is about love. It's about God's love. It's about God's love being shared in our hearts and us sharing it with one another. It is a community of deep love. That's why it's such a tragedy. Now listen to me. It's such a tragedy when churches fight with each other. It's a travesty because it it undoes the message of the gospel. This is a community of love. I'm okay with fighting as long as you'll fight with somebody with substantive ideas 
and you'll be willing to love them all the way through it. I'm okay with that. Just make sure you don't fight and tear them down and destroy one another with backbiting or bitterness. This is a community of love. Lastly, the church is not a collection of random individuals. It is one in purpose, unified by both love and truth. It's not just a collection of random individuals. Look in Ephesians 4. We won't read the whole thing, but Ephesians 4, 1 says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. See, you were unworthy, but now Christ has made you worthy, and now you begin to live according to his design. And be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Unity, oneness, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One, one chapel. That's where we got our name. I believe that God supernaturally puts people together. Take your little, take your little puzzle piece out. And I want to highlight a couple of ideas for you. He's connecting us in a way. He is connecting us in a way that you can't always know. You can't always figure it out. There's three, we won't take time to look at this, but there's three ways that the scripture describes who the church is. He describes it as a family. He describes it as a building. And he describes it as a body. A family, a building, and a body. Say that with me. A family, a building, and a body, right? The thing that puts all those three ideas together, the thing that, that is obvious, the common thread in each of these metaphors is that each idea assumes connectedness, an intertwining of elements constructed with careful coordination. You don't build a building haphazardly. You don't, you, G Jesus calls us living stones that are being built up to house him. We are the houses. We are the temples of the living God. He is constructing something. He's putting us together in a family. He's putting us together as, as a body. We are connected to one another. And much like this puzzle piece, I want you to look at this puzzle piece. I want you to keep it. I want you to take it home. I want you to put it, tape it to your mirror. I want you to keep it in your Bible. I want you to take this puzzle piece because it reminds you of what the church is. It reminds you of what you should do as a part of the church, your perspective on this picture of what the church is. And the way you find your place in the picture, right? Find your place in the picture. Here it is. Here it is. Number one, you've got to understand that each piece is unique. Each piece is unique. When you try to put a puzzle together, every piece is unique. There's not one piece like another. God does that. He makes you unique. There's only one you. And, and that means you have a part that you must play in the body. So each piece is unique. Number two, each piece finds meaning only when connected to another piece. You can't find meaning on your own. You can't find meaning alone apart from others. You have to find meaning when you start connecting to others. Actually, you discover it is what happens. You don't know what it is. People, that's why when college students are going to college and they're trying to figure out, you know, the biggest question you ask a college student is, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? They have no idea. 
most of them. But what it's going to take is a, a, a connecting, a, a, a participation in lots of different areas. It's going to take a place for them to be connected to other people. It's probably going to take a mentor. It's probably going to take someone who will take an interest in them. It's going to take some going here and working in, on this discipline and these ideas. It's going to take this process of connecting with other people for them to discover what they should do with the rest of their life, what their gifts really are. This is one of the reasons why I'm so committed to the idea of discovering what your gifts are in Discovery 301 in Square One, because I think each of us must know who we are and what God's doing in us so we can begin to connect to other people and discover more and more about how He's made us. So we find meaning when we're connected. Number three, fitting the pieces together smooths out the edges. Here's the problem, the process. You ever notice when you put a little puzzle together and it's kind of coming just, just out of the box and you push it down, you mash it, and sometimes, it, oh, yeah, I got to, oh, yeah, there, and then it smooths out somehow. Have you ever seen that? The smoothing out of the edges, that's what you and I are all about. You and I, when we connect to other people, the scripture says that iron sharpens iron. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You guys got a lot of rough edges on you, and so do I. And we need each other to smooth off the edges. Next point, number four, the picture is complete only when every piece is in place. Picture is complete only when every piece is in place. It is the worst thinking in the world to think, oh, they'll never miss me. I used to lead a choir in the church that I worked in. And I would lead this big choir, it was 100 and 150 people. And it was so easy for people <laughs> to just think to themselves, oh, they'll be fine without me. The nature of a choir, I don't know if you realize this, but it's made up of individuals. <laughs> and so if you don't have the individuals in the choir, then it can't have a choir. <laughs> Each piece is important and makes the picture complete. Number five, last point. The on, only the person, and this is a big one, only the person putting the puzzle together gets to see the progress. Oh, what a bummer. Don't you want to know what the picture is? I do. You're going to have to wait. Because Jesus is the one putting the puzzle together. You won't always get to see the final product at the time you want to see it. There is a process. I know, it's, it's rough, isn't it? Jesus, you want to see the, the picture complete. You want to see the church whole exactly as Jesus designed it and decided it should be. That's not going to happen for a while. It will happen. But he's in charge of that process, and you don't always get to see how it's working, what the progress is. And that's why you can't be too critical of the people around you. That's why you have to be careful about how cynical or critical you get of the church of Jesus Christ. Because he's working. He's working in every, every church, every location, every body of believers. Take this home. It, is, it belongs to you. You find your place. You think of yourself as part of this picture. Here's the bottom line. We find our purpose and our fulfillment when we connect to the bigger picture. We find our purpose and we find the fulfillment of Christ Jesus when we connect ourselves 
to what God is doing in the bigger picture. That's what I believe about church. That's what I believe about Jesus. It's what I think we should become as one chapel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your instruction, for your wisdom, for your power. We thank you for what you're saying and what you're doing, helping us remember what this is about, who we are. And Father, we pray in this moment here, as we're just sharing with one another these ideas, Lord, that you would help us to see our place, help us discover our place, help us to connect to others, to smooth off the edges, help us, Lord Jesus, to come and to not be afraid of rejection, to take the risk, to be involved, to be engaged. Lord, I pray that you'd help every person who's sitting here in the sound of my voice that there would be a revelation of the community of love that this should be, that we should have. I want to take a moment and I want to ask if there is anybody here, you've been sitting through this service and you've, you've been wrestling, or maybe you've heard Jesus call your name and he wants you to come and follow him. And the ideas that you've listened to about the church, they've challenged what you've thought about who he is or who the church really is. And this is a moment for you. I want to give an opportunity. I never want to leave a service without giving an opportunity for somebody to respond to the work of God that he's doing in their lives. So if there's anyone here and you say to yourself, I, I, I know there's something. I need to make a commitment to follow Jesus. I need to give my life to him. I am losing my way. Maybe you say, I used to follow him, but really I've, I've given up. I give up on the church. I gave up on, on Jesus. But now you want to come back, and you're ready to come back, and you're, you feel him gnawing at you. You feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you and calling you back to the family. I want you to be able to say yes to that. So nobody looking around, every eye closed, every head bowed. I just want you, if you are experiencing that, that calling, I want you just to lift your hand up in the air. Just lift it up. Anybody in the room? Anybody in the room? Yep. Anyone? All right, let's pray together. Everybody pray with me. Repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the church. Thank you for other believers who love me. Help me to love them. Help me to follow after you with everything I am. I want to find my place. My place in the body. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my failures. Make me a new person. Help me to follow you. I thank you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Amen. The last thing we're going to do this morning is we're going to give in our tithes and offerings. And uh, so if you'd prepare for that. If you're brand new here this morning, we certainly don't expect you to give, but this is something that we've committed to as part of who we are as believers at one chapel. So we give of our tithes and we give of our offerings, not out of duty, not because uh, we feel like we have to, not because it's an investment, but because we want to worship God and we want to worship Him with the thing that typically means most to most of us, and that's our finances. And so let's give, let's pray over our offering together. Father, thank you for what you're doing, what you're saying. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would use everything that's given in this offering for your kingdom. Lord, that you would cause your kingdom to grow in our lives and in our hearts, in this church, in this city, and around the world. Multiply it now for you, for your use. We thank you. We give it to you. We worship you with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's stand up together and let's worship the Lord as we give.